Hey, writers, join our first draft weekly writers club. We meet every Tuesday from 12 to 1 Eastern time. For more information, go to writingclassradio.com and click on the classes tab. Here's to new beginnings. Be a queen, not a pawn. I'm Allison Langer. I'm Zaire. I'm Andrea Askowitz, and this is Writing Class Radio. You'll hear true personal stories and learn how to write your own stories. And today we have Zaire guest hosting again. Zaire, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Zaire hosted most of our prison series, and he's back today to, again, help us get this right. Zaire's a poet, singer, songwriter, an actor who just got a part in a play at the Broward Center. And he's a teacher who teaches writing and poetry to kids in the foster care system. Also, he teaches kids caught up in detention centers. Thank you so much, Zaire, for being on on our show. Of course. Together, we produce this podcast, which is equal parts heart and art. By heart, we mean the truth in a story. By art, we mean the craft of writing. No matter what's going on in our lives, writing class is where we tell the truth. It's where we work out our shit. <laughs> There's no place in the world like writing class. And we want to bring you in. Zaire's like, oh God, they're still with the shit. They do the same thing. Have these girls not evolved? No, I did it. <laughs> I did it with you. You hear me? <laughs> I was there. I was ready. I heard it. Okay. So today on our show, we're sharing another story by Corey Devon Arthur. Corey's stories have been aired on previous episodes of this podcast. You might remember his story from episode 120 called My Pen Uncovers the Real Me and another one, episode 128, My New Manifesto. I mean, Corey is the shit. I love him and I love, love, love his writing. So when he heard that we were doing a call out for men's abortion stories, he's like, I got this. I want to do it. But the story came in and it was 3,000 words. And I was like, oh, Jesus, Andrea's never going to go for this. But since I love everything he writes and I always want more information, I just sent it to her, like hoping, okay, maybe she'll let it slide. Huh. <laughs> Is that how it went down, Andrea? That's funny. <laughs> yes, I just let it slide as I always let everything slide because I'm <laughs> Not- so, so easygoing, <laughs> especially when it comes to editing. I was like, whoa, there's so much great stuff here. But wait, this story has way too many tangents. And really, my question was, what is this story about? So that's why we sent it back to him. I mean, I remember giving him some notes like, do we really need this whole section? Do we really need this whole section? Like, come clear. And he omitted, what did he omit? To 1,800 words. Yeah. So now his story is down to 1,113 and it's so good and so clean and clear. And uh, so that's why today on, on our show, we're talking about omitting needless words. You know, what was funny too, before we get into his story is that when I sent it back to him, I said, I always blame you. And I was like, well, Andrea said, you need to cut this back. And he, he since asked me to have me send you something you've written because he's like, I just want to get a feel for this girl. He's like, if she's your girl, I trust her. I'm going to do whatever. I'm here to please. He's really good about the edits. I mean, he's not going to change his story or his tone or anything like that, but he got it. He's always open to learning about how to make the story stronger. He's a lifelong learner. And so he was really good about it. He's like, I got this. And he cut it back on his own. In addition to some of the, suge- you know, with the suggestions. Yeah, I think it's super strong. 
Wait, are you saying he was going to try to trick me? No, he was not going to try to trick you. He was just trying to get an idea. Like, you know, we know each other. And when we get to see each other and we get to have a conversation about the, the edits, right? So you're like, are you mad at me? And I'm like, yeah, or no, or why? Or why'd you do this? You know, we have a chance to talk it out. But when you're in prison, you don't get that option. He could call and discuss it, but you would have to be on his call out list. It's just a process, right? He doesn't know me as an editor the way you do, is what you're saying. Right. Corey Devon Arthur has served 25 years on a life sentence for robbery and murder and is currently housed at Otisville Correctional Institute in New York. Corey is an artist and writer who has been published on Writing Class Radio and The Marshall Project. His story, after the break. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. I'm Allison Langer, and every Tuesday from 12 to 1 Eastern Time, I host First Draft. It's a class, kinda, because you'll get a little bit of instruction, but mostly it's a group where you come together with other writers online, write to a prompt and share what you wrote. It's the only way to get better. Come join me. Check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com or go to patreon.com slash writingclassradio to learn more. And we're back. This is Zaire, and you're listening to Writing Class Radio. Here's Corey Devon Arthur reading his story, Life Comes With Choices. Mina said I slept together several times. The last time was different, and we both felt it. Four months later, Venus would have to make a choice. We weren't in love. She was my homegirl. We sat in my car in front of her building on the lower east side of Manhattan. What up, Venus? Somebody did something to you? I asked. I'm pregnant, she said. Venus told me it could belong to someone else. That didn't stop me from believing the baby was mine. Thinking Venus was pregnant with our child turned me to mush. Google Gaga. I cool, rubbing her tummy, teeming with life. She let me carry on like this for a while. Then she pushed my hand away. Who says it's yours? You don't owe me, motherfucker. I don't care who pumped the seed into you. I'll be the baby's daddy. I met Venus six months prior at the Uptown Comedy Club in Harlem. My comrade, Mandu Warrior, asked me to help him do security for the club. Venus and her girlfriends were frequent patrons. She was a cute Latina. We hooked up once or twice a week after that. Venus lived with her uncle Theo, her grandmother and younger sister Hope. Venus took pride in raising her little sister. Venus didn't tell her family she was pregnant right away. After her first trimester, shit hit the fan. Venus told me her family was flipping on her because she told them I was the baby's father. Venus' grandma and uncle had issues because I was black. Venus' uncle was heavy in a dope game. I connected him to my peoples in Brooklyn. He pulled up on me and said, I know you're trying to be a real nigga, Marlano, and man up. I respect that. He raised his hand to give me a pound. 
I left him hanging. He smirked and went on. But she's good. I don't know if I told you or not, but Chulo's the father. You know Chulo from the four building, right? Hi, my nigga. I got a breeze. There was a slight chance that Chulo could be the baby's father. My question was why hadn't Chulo stepped up? I felt that was being played. The next day I told Venus what my uncle said. Venus straightened her back, squared her shoulders, and looked at my eyes. I know y'all think I'm some type of puta, but we only fucked three times. The first time, he never finished. The second time, he wore a condom. The last time, I just sucked his dick and he came in my mouth. No, Chulo's not the father. I said, fuck it. I'm still gonna ride with you. I know your uncle's gonna catch feelings. I can do my part, but you gotta handle your family. Two days later, I bumped into Chulo at the weak spot, two blocks from Venus' crib. Chulo wasn't convinced Venus was carrying his child. You know how V is. It could be either way, bro. It ain't personal at this point. At the end of the day, you're the only one that ain't Bonnie this mix. Fall back, bro. Get money and stay out of it, he said. I left without saying another word. I was claiming a baby and Venus. I fucked her. I fight for her, but I wouldn't force her. I doubled back towards Venus block. Chulo caught up to me and pressed the chrome desert eagle 50 caliber against my temple. Then Theo commenced stomping me out. Next I heard the metallic click of the gun slide action. I feed and fuck niggas like you. Remember that. Leave it alone. Chulo spat. This spit on me and left. I laid on the pavement still and humiliated but alive. I took a chance to hold ass to the subway. I was coming back just now how he thought. I came back some hours later to get some payback. Before I could get close, Venus came running up to me crying. My grandma slapped me. I'm getting rid of it. Fuck it. I can't do this anymore. Venus took off running, pulling me down the block toward my car. We got in and drove to a clinic where Venus went to see her doctors. They didn't want to do it that day. Venus started having a nervous breakdown. I tried to calm her to no avail. I don't believe in abortion, but I did believe in a woman's right to make a choice. During my two years locked up, I felt firsthand what it was like to have no freedom over my body. Other prisoners used shanks and ice picks to penetrate my body. Officers stripped me and made me perform those sexual acts. It wasn't exactly the same thing, but it was similar. A woman doctor took Venus aside in office. She gave her time to think. Six hours later, Venus stepped gently out of one of the procedure rooms. She shook her head slightly from side to side. She wanted silence. We drove for hours to nowhere. I don't want to go home, but Hopi. I miss Hopi, she said. We drove until she decided she was strong enough to face with a way to her at home. Venus wanted nothing more to do with violence. My car or the car she just took part in. Weak by SWV play while we drove. I watched Venus weep. It started to rain. I pulled in front of her belt and the drops disappeared from the sky. In this place was a double rainbow. Venus saved an unborn child from the savagery of our lives. At least that's how it made sense to me. Venus stepped out of the car, slammed the door, and left without saying a word. Three days later, I went to check on her. Venus, Hope, Dio, and Chula were outside on the benches in front of her building. She ran over and stood in between them and me. Corey, could you kind of not come around here anymore? Her face pressed into my chest. She put my hand on her bare belly where a bump should have been. She looked at me to turn her eyes upward. 
Her name is Scott. She said before she sucked in a sharp breath that stops her tears. She walked away from me, a savage she couldn't save. She made her choice. I made a choice to continue living a life of crime. Trying to be a father from a cell would have killed me. I did one thing right. I supported Venus the best way I knew how. It's really hard to understand over these phones at prison. So it's the best we can do. But I do think that it's really beneficial to actually hear his voice. For me, I I think a man reading his own story is always more impactful than, you know, somebody else reading it. You get a real idea of of the person. So, yeah. So what did you guys think? This is a really touching story. I know touching might not be the word that would come to most people's uh, minds, but one line that really stood out to me was when she said um, she wanted no part of violence, my kind or the kind she just took part in. That's a poet line. <laughs> that was incredible. One thing I took away was just the familiarity of the, like, the feeling of knowing that this probably isn't the best thing, I'm probably not ready. They're probably not ready. But wanting to be a father, like understanding that that could be a possibility. And despite the fact that nothing about you says you're ready for that, being excited about it because it's something that, you know, might have been something you were lacking as a child. So you get an opportunity to be that for someone. I thought it was so beautiful how he wanted to be the dad, even though he knew, she knew he wasn't really kind of ready for it. I obviously can't speak for him for his past, but I know that something that I've seen in myself and something that I've seen in, in other young men in my community is just being excited about the prospect of being a father because uh, so it's sort of like wanting to prove that you could do it because you've never had that example of it. You're like, I want to prove that I can do this. Admittedly, that's not anywhere close to the best motivation for having a child. But at the same time, there's something special about a child being born into the world and there being at the very least one person where like, you know, that person wants this child, or the person needs this child in this moment for whatever reason. Yeah. Wow, that's beautiful. I felt that. I love that part. And it made me really kind of, you know, it it endeared me to this narrator. I love what Zaire just said. Like, it was like, I don't know, like, you know, like sort of we're assuming that there's kind of a motive underneath. Like, I'm going to be that father that I what I didn't have. But maybe all of it, it's like the way that he said that he, he the idea of being a dad turned him to mush. And then he shows himself being like, you know, singing to the the belly. Like, he's so sweet. And he wants to be the baby's daddy, even if it's potentially he's not the biological father. He's moving forward. He's like, this woman, uh, we're together. We had sex. I'm going to assume that this is my baby. I thought that was really cool. You know, I just want to look at the contrast real quick of like, here's a convicted killer. I don't know if our listeners know that, but from his previous stories, he reveals that this is a guy that people look at like a savage. 
but you you hear his words through his story and you get to the real him in my opinion that is a beautiful side and yes everybody has a bad side his bad side is worse than mine right okay if we're going to compare because people say oh blah 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 and how can you be friends with these people well i can be friends because i choose to focus on the good side and i think in general i try to focus on the good side and i think it's really important to share these stories because everyone has a good side and this side endears him to us because he's so caring for a child that might not even be his and wants to bring it into the world and really care for this child and this woman and support her rights i just thought that was so beautiful i thought that was incredible because that showed, at least to me, when I was listening and reading along, that when he was saying he wanted to be the father, he meant it in every sense. I think the most fatherly thing he did was making sure that the mother of the child got what was best for her out, out of the situation, because that was what was best for the child. Because from what I could tell, that was not a good environment to be coming into. And he recognized that. And even though he wanted the child, he knew that she was not ready for it. She did not want to bring a child into that situation. And she fully fully supported her in that decision, even though it's not what he wanted. I felt the conflict and the tension between her family and him. And I found that so sad. Her family being Latina and him being Black. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because it sounded like she was game for it. Like, let's do it. This is great. And you know, never know what could happen. But because she was Latin and he was Black, it couldn't happen, according to her family. And that's, I, I find that horrible. I mean, the uncle cut it off. The uncle was so violent. You know, get out. You're, you're not wanted here. It was made really clear by his uncle. And the grandma. So we know how, how tight-knit mm-hmm. Latin families are. And... The grandma slapped her. Oh, God. So sad. But the interesting thing is it wasn't even like in the end, he he wasn't blaming her or anyone or anything. He was saying, trying to be a father for my cell would have killed me. It's just. I think that's an important part of it is, you know, a lot of the time what we take away from situations can be the negative. But the very end of peace, though it may not seem like it to everyone, He ended on two positives. He recognized that he wouldn't have been able to be an effective father for Marcel. And he recognized that he did a good thing in supporting Venus's decision. The part that really brings that home is there's a paragraph that I highlighted and it goes, I don't believe in abortion, but I did believe in a woman's right to make a choice. So there he's basically just laying it out there that he is going to do whatever is right for the mother. And that is another beautiful thing about him. But then what did you think about this part, you guys, where he says, during my two years locked up, I felt firsthand what it was like to have no freedom over my body. Other prisoners used shanks and ice picks to penetrate my body. Officers forced me to strip and perform lewd and sexual acts. It wasn't exactly the same thing, but it was similar. Remember, there were double this amount of words. So he addressed a lot of this stuff he talked more about like some of the conflict in her family and the conflict that they there was sort of gang violence around you know tension between her family and and him 
So there was that in there that we kind of took out because this is about racial tension. I mean, I felt it was a little bit, but that wasn't the main crux of the story was not that, mm-hmm. you know, and also the torture that he's endured in prison and the fact that he was there for two years and then left and then came back. That's a whole nother story in itself, but that's not this story. So we kind of had to take out a lot of that. Right. The part that remains serves the story because the right. part that remains is about, because I think the story is ultimately about um, choice. And that's the name of the story. Life comes with choices. Venus would have to make a choice. That's right at the very beginning. And at the end, he talks about how he, I mean, choice is such an interesting word when we're talking about abortion because it's, the whole abortion debate is, is centered around that word. But so when he says, I don't believe in abortion, but I did believe in a woman's right to make a choice. The part that I thought was, I thought it was really interesting when he was, he was equating his own lack of bodily integrity. Like he was raped. He was penetrated. Like, I mean, we didn't need to know that he was, he did say during my two years locked up and maybe we should have cut that line because now I'm like, oh, I didn't realize that he was in and out. and, And, you know, that's not, that's not the story. Basically, all he needs to tell us is that he knows firsthand what it feels like to have no control over your body. And because of that, he's going to say, I support your choice. And then at the end, he says, the second to last line is, I made a choice to continue living a life of crime. So yeah, he's a poet also. So he did carry Mm -hmm. the choice all through. And that word came up a lot. And I found that to be really effective and definitely something that you see a lot in poetry. Well-crafted. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, one thing a friend of mine who's also a poet that you guys know, Marnino, always says. Love Marnino. He always talks about, you know, how you invite someone into a piece and how you walk them out. And I think the opening and closing of this piece both so strong, so very strong. Obviously, every the whole piece in, in itself is terrific. But the way he opens, the way he welcomes you into the piece, sort of like laying the groundwork. And then the, the last two lines, I made a choice to continue living. Like trying, trying to be a father for myself, would have, for myself would have killed me. I did one thing right. I supported Venus the best way I knew how. That's how you end a piece. Like that's how you do it. Wonderful ending. But I also, at trying to be a father from, from, a, from myself would have killed me. I also, you know, just me wonder that whole making making the choice to continue living a life of crime would that have happened if he had ended up be, becoming a father i think that's probably a thought that he has a lot i just got the chills i mean i get the feeling from some of his other stories it wasn't really much of a choice he was there and he was stuck and also what happened to him in those two years where he was in prison in rikers island really destroyed every bit of innocence he ever had going in. I think he was maybe 17 going in and came out at 19 and it was downhill from there. What the prison system did to him destroyed him. The line where she says she walked away from me, a savage she couldn't save. She made her choice. I wonder if he still thinks, would this have turned me around or is he saying, and I feel like he's saying, Venus knew and I knew that I was still going to choose to live a life of crime at this point. So I love how he takes responsibility for where he was at that moment. That's the way I hear it. Yeah. And that goes back to what I was saying. 
I just don't think it was much of a choice. I mean, he, once he got sort of immersed in the whole drug culture, selling, making money, surviving streets lifestyle, it was, it's very, it was really hard to extricate himself. Awesome story. I love it. Thank you, Corey Devon Arthur, for sharing your story with us. And thank you, Zaire, for coming and helping us really get another perspective. Of course, I love it here. <laughs> Me too. Yay. <laughs> I just love having Zaire. So, so smart and good and interesting. Yeah. Thank you. If you want to hear more stories from Corey, check out The Marshall Project and episodes 120 and 128 on Writing Class Radio. If you want to hear more stories from the inside, please listen to the prison series. You'll get to hear Zaire uh, hosting with us during that 10-part series. Zaire also read some of the stories from the inside that we couldn't get recorded. We had uh, nine incarcerated writers share their stories and my story about how I got involved teaching in prison. And Andrea and I spoke about why we aired the stories from the incarcerated and basically how we changed after hearing those stories. If any of you live in the Brooklyn area, please visit Corey Art Show. More information will be available on our website as the date nears. Here's to new beginnings. Thank you for listening. This episode of Writing Class Radio is hosted by Zaire. Andrea Askowitz, and me, Allison Langer. Audio production is by Matt Kundal, Evan Serminski, and Aiden Glassy at the Sound Off Media Company. Theme music is by Justina Chandler. There's more writing class on our website, writingclassradio.com, including stories we study, editing resources, video classes, writing retreats, and live online classes. Follow us on Patreon to join our first draft weekly writers group. You have the option to join me on Tuesdays, 12 to 1 Eastern Time, and Zarina, Wednesdays, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern Time. You'll write to a prompt and share what you wrote. If you're looking to take your writing to the next level, we have two second draft writing groups. Each week, three people bring a finished draft for feedback. Join the community that comes together for instruction, an excuse to write, and most importantly, the support from other writers. To learn more, go to patreon.com slash writingclassradio. A new episode will drop every other Wednesday. There's no better way to understand ourselves and each other than by writing and sharing our stories. Everyone has the story. What's yours? It's said that the more time you have to invest, the greater the return. Well, guess what? Kids have the most time if we learn to invest early. That's why I created the Cash Kid Podcast, where I teach kids and some adults financial skills they need to know on how to earn, save, and invest their money. Join me on this journey as we interview experts and explore topics that allow you to grow your money as kids. This podcast will help you become the money expert among your family and friends. Just remember, anyone can be a Cash Kid. You just have to learn how to become one. Get ready to grow your financial knowledge and your wallet with the Cash Kid Podcast.